Well, for the past 10 weeks, we have been taking a, a deep dive into the truths conveyed in the 12th chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And you know, when I first started preparing for this series, I knew I wanted to focus in on this concept of therefore, living in light of truth. Because of everything he's taught us in this letter, chapters 1 through 11, how then should we live day by day? I hope that the, the Recharge books have been a blessing to you as you've soaked through the book of Romans, or up through uh, chapter 12 at least. And I, Well, I think it was through chapter 8, then plus chapter 12, but I hope that you've enjoyed that. Just a side note. Uh, we will not have a recharge book for uh, December this year. Uh, we've got something else, and we'll tell you about that in the, in the next week or two. Um, but starting in January, we'll have a, a new recharge book plus uh, something a little extra and different. So I, I, I uh, hope you're looking forward to that. But, you know, whenever I sit down to start preparing the sermon series, which Actually, I've spent a lot of time this week preparing the sermon series for January through March. And Brother Ron, you'll be glad to know that I've got a document to hand to you and Tim as y'all write uh, these community group studies for our winter session. Um, but as I always do when preparing a new series, the first thing I do is I, I look at the passage as a whole. You know, everything that I'm going to be trying to teach, whether that's a a whole book or just a, a section of a book or whatever. And I look at that to determine how many divisions there need to be, there needs to be within the chosen text to be able to adequately cover the main truths that are taught therein. And then after that is determined, I, I briefly, I take a moment to briefly describe each of those sections to to try to understand and make sure I've got the big idea of each of those sections. So in other words, I, I summarize uh, that section of the passage in just a, a couple of sentences. And then once I have a clear understanding of the big overall passage, then the next step is always determining what the title of that message is going to be. Well, when I got to this point in my preparation, of this particular series this past summer, I, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do as far as the title of each sermon. And so for the title in my overview document, I, I wrote out on each week, I put therefore comma, be something, <laughs> be something. Um, in fact, when we created the, the Uversion interactive notes, uh, we create those well in advance, and, and so on each one of those, every week it said, therefore, be something. And so, and so every week I've looked at this as I go in to edit it, and, and I read those words, be something. Every week it reminded me to be. Well... Over these past 10 weeks, we've been challenged to be peculiar, to be ordinary, to be impactful, to be gracious. 
Sorry, I got distracted by my own graphic up there. To be gracious, to be diligent, to be devoted, be generous, be considerate, be understanding, and be compassionate just last week. And so today my goal is to summarize all of these thoughts into one final sermon. And that sermon is to be different. To be different. You may have heard this saying before, it's, we are human beings, not human doings. Have you heard that? We're human beings, not human doings. Now, I don't think it's possible to tell you who first said that because there are several dozen people online who claim it as their own. And so I'm, I guess I'll claim it as my own uh, today as well. Uh, not that anyone cares, but... Um, I do think there's some value in this concept, in thinking through this idea of being a human being, not just someone who does all the time. I mean, how many of us find our worth and our value in what we do? If you ever sit down in a, in a situation where one dude is meeting another dude, what's the... Second question out of their mouth after, uh, you know, hey, my name's Wade, and they tell you their name. What's the first thing you ask? What do you do? What do you do? Why does God love us? Just think about it for a moment. Why does God love us? Is it for who we are or is it for what we do? Well, of course, it's for who we are. He loves us just because. And so the question I think about today is what does it mean to simply be? Well, you know, most pastors go through some sort of training before they go into the ministry, whether that's seminary or Bible college. And the, the goal of this training is to prepare them for the ministry. I was blessed to be able to attend Central Baptist College for my undergraduate work and then go on to the BMA Theological Seminary for my Master of Divinity degree. And both of these schools provided me with a theological foundation that I needed to be able to serve the Lord in the role that he has placed me today. I'm very thankful for the education that I received, both from CBC and from BMATS. I'm also very thankful for the lifelong friends that I, I gained from my time there at the school. But I, I must admit there are some limitations to what these schools are able to provide when it comes to training ministers. And it's not just Central Baptist College and BMA Theological Seminary. It's true of almost every Bible college and seminary. You see, these schools train me in the what and the how of ministry. I did not learn everything I needed to learn in my four years uh, in Bible college and my four years in seminary, I didn't learn everything I needed to know, but they taught me how to be a lifelong, lifelong learner. 
I'm so thankful for the men and the women who poured into me during these formative years. But still, there were limitations to what I learned in these institutions. They taught me what I needed to know as a Christian. They taught me what I needed to do as a Christian. But they didn't really teach me how to simply be a Christian. Well, in 2009, I made a decision to continue my education at the International Graduate School of Leadership, which is in Quezon City, Metro Manila, Philippines. I was accepted into the program for the Doctor of Ministry in Transformational Leadership. And unlike any other Bible college or seminary that I had ever looked at before, this degree program focused in on all three aspects of ministry preparation, knowing, doing, and being. One third of my courses focused in on the academic or informational side of leadership development. Another one third of my courses focused in on the process or the how-to of developing and training leaders. And then finally, the, the last third of my course, courses focused in on me. It focused in on m helping me to become the man that God desired me to become. And it gave me the tools that I needed to, to be self-aware and know when I was falling short in that area. And so this three-pronged approach or this three-pronged teaching philosophy had a tremendous impact on my life and a tremendous impact on my ministry. Now in today's message, I want us to take some time to revisit all of the main teachings from this series in Romans chapter 12. And some of you just gasped on the inside and said, oh no, we're not gonna be able to leave and go home and cook before tonight because it's gonna take forever. I hope that that is not the case. The goal here is to be holistic in our approach to this text, looking at what we need to know, looking at what we need to do, but also looking at who we need to be in light of the truth that is found in this passage. And what we'll discover is that we need to think, act, and react differently from the world's standards. So if you have your Bible, let's look at Romans chapter 12. We are going to read the entire chapter today um, just because I think it's an amazing reminder and it's not that long. Read with me on the screen or in your, in your Bible as I read Romans 12 beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned for as in one body we have many members, 
And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of another, one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, as we walk through this passage again this morning, there's one big idea that I think that we need to keep in mind, and I put it on the screen for you to process it, and that is this. Our thoughts, the, the things that we think day by day, our thoughts produce our actions. Our actions produce our habits. Our habits produce our character, and our character is revealed in stress-filled situations. So, if we want to think, act, and react differently than the rest of the world, it all starts with the renewing of our minds. The transformation that Paul refers to here in verse 2 is so much more than just avoiding worldly behaviors. It is something that starts inside us, in our minds, and gradually works its way out. But it's got to start inside. John Piper explained it this way. He said, the Christian alternative to immoral behavior is not a new list of moral behaviors. It is the triumphant power and transformation of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. He, we're not trading one list of bad things for a list of good things that we've got to check off. But it is a life transformation. It's a heart transformation. It is a transformation of our minds. And if you look at Galatians chapter 5... 
verse 16 through 20, you'll see that Paul cautioned his readers there to not gratify the flesh. In that passage, he then gives them a long list of these fleshly desires that they ought to avoid. Now, does anyone remember what comes immediately after this long list of desires that they ought to avoid? Let me give you a hint. It's Galatians 5, verse 22. You remember that one? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Folks, these are not things that we do. These are things that we are. We must be loving, joyful, gentle, patient, peaceful, kind, and good. We must be, not do. So who we are is more important to God than what we know or what we do. So if that's the person that we want to be, we've got to start by thinking differently. So let's look at that first. Think differently. Each of my points, I have three points this morning, and each point has three subpoints, and that really should scare you. My goal today is not to re-preach the entire sermon series, but hopefully to just bring out some ideas that will spark something in your mind to refresh your memory. Or if I say something today and you say, I have no idea what he's talking about, I would encourage you to go back to our website or our Facebook page or our podcast and listen to these for a more in-depth description of what we're talking about, especially when it comes to this one, because I don't have time to talk at length about what it means to carve new neural pathways in the brain this morning. We spent a lot of time uh, talking about that uh, back in September, but that's the first step, is that we must have a renewal of our minds. We must allow our brains to carve new neural pathways by feeding it with information that brings glory to God. Our brains are amazing. They prioritize what we tell it is important. It's the best filing system in the world. And whatever we focus on, it will Carve a pathway to get to that information as quickly as possible. Folks, if what we're thinking about is not God-honoring, then that's the fastest thing it's going to take us to every time because that's what we've told it to do. So how do we... How do we renew our minds? We renew our minds by spending time in the Word. Filling our minds with things that bring honor and glory to God. Are you familiar with what Scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 4? Verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds... In Christ Jesus, the peace of God will guard your mind 
But then he goes on and says, but finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Stop your stinking thinking. That's not original with me, I promise. But that's what we've got to do. We've got to think about the things that bring honor to God. So how do we do that? Well, what do you spend your, your days thinking about? You know, I've heard a lot of people lately, and maybe it's because of the season that the Arkansas Razorback football team has had, but I've heard a lot of people uh, talk about lately how they've just got to stop listening to sports radio as they're driving. Um, but the same could be true in a lot of forums today. There's just a lot of hatred and negativity everywhere on radio, television, videos online, social media, whatever. There's a lot of negativity out there, folks. We've got to replace that with positive things from God's word. We need to spend time reading his word. We need to spend time praying. We need to have devotional books that we, we read through and, and study. We need to listen to Christian music. And you may say, I, I don't like that style of music. I promise you, whatever style of music you enjoy, there's a Christian artist that sings it. It's not about the style of music. It's about the lyrics that are getting stuck in your head. Podcast or other downloadable content. There, there's a, a plethora of information available out there that can fill our minds with the things of God if we allow it. By the way, I don't know if you utilize this or not. You may not even have signed up, but if you go into our Uversion events, there's a link to this. But we have access, we're paying for access for every single person here to have right now media available on your TV at home or your cell phones. And that's filled with all sorts of things. Kids shows, Bible studies, preaching, all sorts of things that you can go and watch online. If you want more information about that, go to the interactive notes or just see me later. And I can show you how to get signed up for that. Another thing that I'm excited that a lot of you are starting to get involved in is our discipleship pathways. The opportunity to spend time in God's word each day. And it's... Just simple questions. Read the Bible. Find the answers. If you're interested in the discipleship pathway, I encourage you to, to check into that as well. The key here is that we must replace these bad thoughts with thoughts that bring glory to God. Now these are just a few spiritual activities that you can incorporate into your daily schedule. But it requires discipline. That's why they call it spiritual disciplines. It requires discipline. And with that discipline, transformation will follow.
He transforms us by renewing our minds. Day by day, renewing our minds. Well, as transformation begins, the Spirit will begin dealing with your attitude toward others and your attitude about yourself, which is what we see in verse 3 of Romans 12. And that is humility. He said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment. Folks, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. I'm going to say it again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Selfishness or looking out for yourself is at the root of every human emotion. It is God's desire that we remove that fleshly desire and replace it. And he wants us to replace it with genuine love and concern for others. When he challenges us to not think too much of ourselves, he's challenging us to think about others more. And love genuinely, which is what we find in verses 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor, honor. You see, a tangible result of thinking differently will be a genuine love for one another. When, when God changes the way we think, we'll begin to think more like him. And guess what? God is love. And he wants us to love also. Rather than seeking to tear others down, we seek to honor them with our words and honor them with our actions. So how can we actually see this happen in our lives? You know, it's one thing to talk about it, but how does it actually happen? Well, it starts with retraining our brain with the things of God through spiritual disciplines that I mentioned earlier. But then the next thing is that the, we must have a goal of having the mindset of Christ. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, uh, we find this mindset of Christ. And rather than read it to you, I've summarized four big things that God taught me when I was in my 20s. And that was this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Consider the interest of others before your own interest. Empty yourself of any thoughts of entitlement. And become a servant to all in obedience to him. That's what Philippians 2 is teaching us. And one of these days I hope to learn that lesson well. But it's a process. It's been a process now for about 30 years. I remember very distinctly the day I discovered Philippians chapter 2. It slapped me upside the face. And it's been doing that ever since. But, you know, if you look at these four things, every single one of these steps begins in the mind. It begins in the mind. So we need to think differently. So what will you do today to start thinking 
differently. I want you to take a moment, if you would, please, and ask the Lord, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do differently in, the, in what I'm thinking, on, in what I'm focusing my time and my thoughts on? Maybe it's something to do with the amount of time you spend in his word. Or maybe it's something to do with the amount of time you spend in prayer to him. Or maybe it's something to do with the selfish ambition that's in your heart and, and your desires to advance no matter the cost. Or maybe it's something to do with just not being concerned for others. Maybe you need to change the way you view others and their concern. When God reveals that to you, what are you going to do with it? I have a feeling if I know the Spirit of God, and I, I, I've spent a lot of time trying to get to know the Spirit of God, I have a feeling that if you have lifted up that prayer to Him, He's already put something in your heart that you know this is what I need to do. What are you going to do with that? Will you write it down somewhere? Will you make a promise to God in your heart and maybe to an accountability partner and say, I'm going to start this process of thinking differently? Well, the second thing I want us to look at in this chapter this morning is that we also must act differently. Act differently. Under this point, we have three different ways that we ought to act differently. The first of those is in our commitment to God. If you look back at the very first verse of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, what God calls us to do through the writing of Paul is extreme. He says we should present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him. You know, I, I quoted my friend back a couple months ago. Uh, when we were studying this, he said the problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. When we present ourselves to the Lord, presenting all of who we are on a daily basis as a sacrifice to God, when we do that, folks, can I just say this is a reasonable response in light of the grace and mercy given to us through salvation in Jesus Christ? It is reasonable for us to give everything to him because he has given everything to us. We give him this finite life. And the older we get, we realize how short this life really is. And he gives us eternity. It is reasonable. It is a reasonable response. And it is rational for us to be set apart for him. Living our lives in such a way that it is well-pleasing to him. Folks, if you struggle with this, I would encourage you to take a day and get alone in order to contemplate what your life would be like if it were not for the grace of God. I don't think we, we get alone and we get quiet often enough. Once again, we're all about human doing rather than human being. 
Get alone and spend a day. Be sure and take a journal with you. Or if you don't like to write, that's fine. Use a memo recording device on your cell phone or get an old tape recorder and record your thoughts about God and what he has done for you. Now, frankly, this, this would be good for everyone to do, not just for those that are struggling. And if you want some, some help in maybe planning a day like that, come see me. I, I, I'd be happy to do that. But we need to recognize all that God has done for us and have a commitment to him that is a rational, reasonable response. And that response is, Take all that I am. I'm yours, Lord. The second commitment that we see here about acting differently is a commitment to serve. Pastor John preached last month from Romans 12, verse 11, telling us how that we should be diligent in our service to the Lord. And as we look at this encouragement within its context, we'll notice that Paul had already given us instruction about how we should serve the Lord. That's found in verses 6 through 8. You see, each of us is a unique individual with distinct talents and personality traits. And the Holy Spirit of God works through us in order to extend His grace to others as we serve Him and serve them. And so I ask you today, how is God calling you to serve him? If you look at verses 6 through 8, it gives us a list of ways that he might work through us. Is he calling you to proclaim truth on his behalf? Is he calling you simply to serve or to teach? Is he calling you to be an encourager or an exhorter? Is he calling you to be especially generous with what you have been entrusted with, what he has entrusted to you? Is he saying be generous with that? Or is he calling you to lead? Do so with zeal. Or is he calling you to show compassion and mercy? Whatever God is calling you to do, will you make a commitment to serve? You see, serving God is a physical manifestation of our commitment to him. So the big question is, are you, am I fully committed to him? Well, the third way we ought to act differently that we see in this passage is that we, meet, we need to, a commitment to empathize. Now this word empathy refers to a person's ability to understand and share in the feelings of another person. And Paul talks about this in verse 12 when he says, when we rejoice, uh, or we should rejoice, uh, let me try to, Verse 15, I think I wrote down the wrong word because they both start with rejoice. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When we do this, we are sharing in that person's feelings. Whether it's good feelings or bad feelings, 
We're sharing in those feelings. Galatians 6 tells us that we should bear one another's burdens. We should be there for one another. We should rejoice with one another. We should sorrow with one another. Whatever is going on, we need to be committed to empathize with each other. Because all of us want to feel loved. All of us want a place of belonging. That's where this comes in. This is, that's what this will do for us. It will help all of us to feel like we belong. When we bless those who malign us and mistreat us, we are taking empathy to a whole new level. You see, if you look at verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. What we're doing if we obey this command is we are looking beyond their offense against us. We're looking beyond their offense and extending grace to them. And by the way, that is unmerited favor. Okay? They don't deserve it. But neither did we. And God offered it to us. And now he's saying, bless, do not curse. So we're looking beyond their offense and extending grace to them. Do you remember what 1 Peter 4 tells us? Verse 8 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Again, we see thoughts producing actions. Our, our thoughts of love produces empathy when they're rejoicing, when they're weeping, or when they're persecuting. In all situations, we extend grace. If our goal is to live in light of the truth of Romans chapter 12, then we must act differently than the world. But as I've said before, I'll say again, that starts with thinking differently. Loving is different. The standard operating procedure in this world today is hatred, anger, strife, stirring the pot. It's not love. Loving is different. And all three of these actions find their root in love. The Apostle John's letters have a lot to say about this subject. If you look in 1 John chapter 4, we'll see several verses that address this exactly. Our commitment to God, he addresses in verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. Amen. Why should we love? Because he first loved us. Verse 20, he says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So if we want to say we love God then we must love our brother. And you know what that is? A commitment to serve others. And then finally, 1 John 4, verse 11. 
John said, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's a commitment to empathize. When we think differently, we act differently. The world's full of hate, but God has called us to love. And if, key word there, okay, if this is the life we choose to live, not only will we think differently and act differently, we will also react differently. Let's go back to what I shared at the beginning of our sermon for a moment. I said, our thoughts produce our actions, our actions produce our habits, our habits produce our character, and our character is revealed in stress-filled situations. So, if we want to think, act, and react differently, it all starts with the renewing of our minds. You see, the transformation that God is seeking is something that starts within us. It's in our minds, and it gradually works its way out into our actions and eventually even into our reactions. Well, what's the difference? What's the difference between our actions and reactions? Well, I think the difference all focuses around the type of situation that we find ourselves in. You see, if we're in the middle of a stress-filled circumstance, we usually act differently than if we are in a relaxed situation. It's easier to respond in a godly manner when it's not stressful, right? Probably some of you, I, I think Walmart has used this, so if you work for Walmart, you probably used it. Are you familiar with the Berkman personality test? Some of you, maybe? Yeah, Tim's uh, shaking his head. The interesting thing about the Berkman personality test, and I don't care if you ever do this, but they actually spend time to figure out how you behave in regular situations and then what is your stress behavior as well and so it helps you when you're trying to work on a team to know hey we're in the middle of a stress situation the person who normally acts this way is now going to act this way wouldn't it be amazing if those were the same the reality is is that seldom happens and it's not until you spend many years allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your life that your actions and your reactions are the same. Well, let's look at this last point. That we need to react differently. Once again, three things. We need to be patient in tribulation. We need generosity in everything. And we need blessing in persecution. When we are intentionally working to think and act differently and, and think and act in a godly manner, we will respond to difficult circumstances with patience and trust. 
will respond to difficult circumstances with patience and trust. I'm reminded of what James wrote in James 1 verse 2. He says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, I put five, but we'll stop at verse four. Now, that's what he says. Count it all joy when you enter these difficult circumstances. Do you remember what we read just a moment ago when, when I told you in Philippians 4 on what things we should think about? Can anybody quote Philippians 4, 8? <laughs> I know what it says, but I couldn't quote it to you. There's too many things that it says that we should think about. But the good news is there's a lot of options there. Do you know what it says in the two verses just before Philippians 4, 8, where it tells us that we need to think on those things? Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, folks, this, these verses teach us that if we entrust everything to God through prayer, then we can experience the peace of God even in those difficult circumstances. We don't have to worry about these things. We don't have to be anxious about these things when we are trusting, truly trusting God with a situation all comes back to how much do you really believe what you say you believe about trusting God. Well, when, when we think differently, we act different, differently, and we can then react differently by being patient in our tribulations. The next thing that we see there is a generosity in everything. You see, this kind of trust affects all aspects of our lives. If we trust God and we're not worried and we're not anxious, then you know what? That will affect the, our willingness to be generous. When we are confronted with a need, if we're truly trusting God to provide for all of our needs, we will react with generosity. We'll let that sink for a moment. If we're really trusting him to provide, we will react with generosity. But if we are not trusting, we will hesitate to be generous. Or we may avoid giving altogether. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul wrote, Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we react differently in tribulation. We act, react differently when shown a need. And then we react differently when facing persecution. We have blessings 
in persecution. We bless others in persecution. Can I just say this is quite possibly the most difficult instruction in all of chapter 12 of Romans? I don't know if, if uh, it, you struggled with it or not. I was thankful I only preached one message on this and let Brother David preach the, the following week while I was gone to my son's wedding. Uh, it, this is tough stuff. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. As I pointed out two weeks ago and David pointed out last week, this is an absolute. We will never face a situation where we can justify repaying evil for evil. We will never face a situation where we can justify seeking vengeance for how someone treated us. There is never a situation. As much as we would like to, we cannot fake this reaction. When we are mistreated or maligned, what will our reaction be? Blessing those who malign us and blessing those who mistreat us is only possible if you are well on your way through this transformation process, also known as discipleship. You know, if we're going to be the salt and light that Jesus described in Matthew chapter 5, then we also have to have the attitudes that he described in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Weep with those who weep, right? Verse 5, he said, Blessed are, oh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Don't think too much of yourself. He goes on and says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Think on godly things. Verse 9, and goes on, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. For as much as it depends upon you, live at, in peace with all men. Verse 10, Matthew 5, 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake or on my account. Rejoice, he says. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the attitude the be attitudes, but th those are the attitudes that Jesus challenges us. And then he says in verse 13, immediately after that, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light into the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works 
and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Folks, it's important that we think differently. It's important that we act differently. But it is it, it's so very important that we react differently. Because the way we react when dealing with difficult circumstances matters. People see that. And if we blow it, then we're no longer salt. If we blow it, we're no longer light. A few minutes ago, I read from James 1 about counting it all joy when we go through difficult circumstances. If you move ahead in verse 12 of James 1, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Steadfast. Too many times we're like this. Steadfast. Verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If we seek vengeance, if we seek to repay evil for evil, it does not produce the righteousness of God. So I ask you today, are you patient when things are not going your way? Do you count it all joy, as James said? Do we respond with generosity when a need is made known to us? Are we cheerful givers? And do you, or do I, do we respond with blessings to those who malign and mistreat us? And do we rejoice about it? That's what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 12. Rejoice. If we are to overcome evil with good, then we must react differently. When things aren't going my way, I need to look for the positive in a situation. Even if the only positive is that this is an opportunity for me to grow in my spiritual maturity. And it's an opportunity for me to extend grace to people who don't deserve it. We've got to look for the good. Can I say there should not be such a thing as a pessimistic Christian? Ever? Sorry, I just slapped some of you. Slap myself if that helps. There should not be any, there should never be a pessimistic Christian. We have hope. There should not be such a thing as a stingy Christian either. There should not be such a thing as an angry Christian, nor a vindictive Christian, nor a Christian who is holding a grudge against someone else. Folks, if that's who you are, you are multiplying evil with evil rather than overcoming evil with good. Stop it. So we've got to think differently, act 
differently. And hopefully get to the point where we react differently. So what are you going to do to further your spiritual development in these areas? Because again, guys, this is a process. And this process starts with allowing God to renew your mind day by day through the power of his word. That's where it starts. What will you do today to go further in this process? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the amazing power of your word. And Father, I just thank you for uh, the truth that we find here in Romans chapter 12. God, thank you for blessing us with it. Thank you for the opportunity to study it. And Lord, now as, as we contemplate the things that you've challenged us with, I just pray, Father, um, help us to be obedient to the things that you've shown us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.